Good morning again. Let's take our Bibles to 2 Corinthians. We're almost in chapter 2. I say almost because we have the last couple verses which actually transition into the second chapter as well. It's the same continuum of thought. So we're in God-directed partnership, part three, and this section of scripture is where Paul is more addressing um, the instance of his um, diversion over the last few verses uh, to talk about why he didn't come to see them and the problems that came um, to the church over his uh, not coming and some of the perhaps, uh, or some of the accusations that were being levied against him. And so it's dealing with problems within the church as well and giving a focus on how to deal with those things. And uh, in that God-directed partnership, each one of those words, God and directs or directed in partnership, are all a part of understanding church life and how church life works. So we're looking at that this morning and uh, if you're first time with us, you can maybe jump in on the series online. Well, as we come into the end of this chapter, Second uh, Corinthians chapter 1, I'm going to invite us to read Second Corinthians 1, verse 23, and then we're going to go through and read through verse 4 of the second chapter. So verse 23 through verse 4 of chapter 2, if you would read out loud with me, Second Corinthians 1, verse 23. Through chapter 2 of verse 4, let's read together out loud. Moreover, I call God for a record upon my soul that to spare you I came not as yet unto Corinth, not for that we have dominion over your faith, but are helpers of your joy, for by faith you stand. But I determined this with myself, that I would not come again to you in heaviness, for if I make you sorry, who is he then that maketh me glad, but the same which is made sorry by me? And I wrote this same unto you, lest when I came, I should have sorrow from them of whom I ought to rejoice, having confidence in you all, that my joy is the joy of you all. For out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote unto you with many tears, not that ye should be grieved, but that ye might know the love which I have more abundantly unto you. All right, so as we come into the message this morning in verses 23 and 24, he starts here with a declaration of God who knows his heart. Now, I want to say for each one of us, um, well, let me put it to you this way. First of all, have you ever been lied to? You ever been lied to by... A Christian. Well, some of you say, well, I don't know, but I suspect. And uh, it could be. Uh, here's something that we need to anchor on this, that God knows us, right? And he knows who you are. And so we're not hiding anything from God. And that's an important truth to know. And I also know that sometimes, and, and this is true, we all recognize that we're sinners and that we have a lot of issues that God is working on. But there's also a degree of which we can find solace or encouragement when all the world around you may misunderstand you or your motives, that you can fall back to a God who does know you 
And so I think that's what he does in verse 23. Moreover, I call God for a record upon my soul. And he's basically saying here, God knows why I do what I do and why I did what I did and why the issue or the issue uh, specifically is his visit to them, his second visit, that to spare you I came not as yet unto Corinth. So in this, this is difficult sometimes to reconcile and understand, and that's why we have a title, God-Directed Partnership, is that there's a time and a season for things. And uh, it takes a lot of discernment from God to know when you should or shouldn't do things. And wouldn't it be nice if God just wrote it in the sky for you to say, do this now or do that now. And yet, God doesn't do that. He gives us principles from his word that motivate what we do and when we do it and that when sh things should be done. And, and specific here is dealing with a church problem that Paul dealt with really, many commentators would argue, and I agree, uh, is dealing with problems that were represented in the book of 1 Corinthians. And now he's having to make a judgment call of should he come to, again, to them again and the timing of that coming. Now what does Paul have in mind? Paul has in mind, I believe, a lot of different passages that would guide in how do you handle problems in a church? How do you handle uh, dealing with church issues, people issues, conflict? How do you deal with these things? There are some principles that guide or have, or guiding principles that are found, again, in other passages. One of those we go to very often, I'm going to read verses 11 and 12 of Ephesians 4. And Paul would re we read there, we would read this principle. And he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for what? For the, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So Paul, when he says in verse 24 of 2 Corinthians 1, not for that we have dominion over your faith, but are helpers of your joy for by faith you stand, what you have, the sentiment in verse 24, is you have this aspect. Paul is saying, I want to come to you for your good. And really that principle of edification, of building one another up, is a principle that's all over the scriptures. You might remember 1 Corinthians chapter 3. So go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 if you've got your Bibles there. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. First Corinthians 3, 10 and 11. According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon, for other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is who? Jesus Christ. So Paul is going to reference throughout his writings and throughout the inspired word of God, he's going, to, he's going to reference his mindset towards the church. And I've said this before, both in 1 Corinthians and now 2 Corinthians, something that would be good to maybe hear again. Uh, a little statement that we need to be builders and not breakers. Is that fair? We need to be builders and not breakers. And um, took a lot of time, even in the relationship series that was done not long ago, to reference. It's easy to go through life broken. And you can stay broken all your life. Then you can live life broken, but God's got something much better for you than that. 
And let me say that God's will is always good. Amen? And God's path is always good. And, and especially when conflict arises. Now, how do we handle conflict? Do we handle conflict well? Well, let me maybe say it this way. Um, we would all handle conflict well if we would handle it biblically. Is that, is that fair? Okay. Do we always? No. What is one of the number one tactics of dealing with problems or conflict? What's one of the number one? Well, I would say this. Avoidance. Avoidance is one of the major uh, tactics that we use, and I'm going to say it this way, carnally. And what we do is we can walk around with ill feelings towards someone or supposed ill, feel, Ill feelings and live life that way. Live life in that broken condition. Is that what God wants? Is it clear that God would have us, whenever there's a problem, to seek edification? Is that clear? That we seek to build each other up? Is it difficult? Yeah, it is. Matter of fact, I think it's, I don't remember if it's our, I think it's in our uh, covenant. It's in our church covenant. It's one of the three documents we read about being a member that when we have a problem, we will seek reconciliation. There's a phrase in there. Anybody know what that phrase is? We will seek reconciliation. has two words after it. Anybody know? <laughs> or else no. <laughs> uh, that's a good one. We, we need to have a, we need to have an amendment. <laughs> we seek reconciliation without delay. Without delay. Do you think churches do that all the time? No. You can live years broken. You can live a lifetime broken. People do it in marriage. They live a lifetime broken. Um, you don't respect me, I'm not going to love you. If you don't love me, I'm not going to, you know, and back and forth. And, and anybody ever heard of the silent treatment? That's a play on words. Heard of the, never mind. Uh, it was an attempt, okay? Uh, these are carnal methodologies to navigating life, and they don't end well. So I, I said in my Sunday school class, it's a, it's a phrase I've come to lately, bad doctrine gives bad behavior and along with it brings bad feelings. Good doctrine brings good behavior, and good doctrine, guess what, builds and gives good feeling. It's a good thing to live obedient to the Lord. His ways really are best. And Paul, you know, he's, he's got a situation here with the Corinthians where it was better for them that he not come at the time that he was planning to come, and yet his heart isn't just to withhold himself from them. His heart is to build. As we have there in 1 Corinthians 3, verses 10 and 11, according to the grace of God which is given unto me as a wise master builder. Someone who is building the work of God off of the gospel, building the church. And he talks there about the foundation. The foundation has to be Christ. And he tells he tells us here in verse 10 of 1 Corinthians 3, every man needs to take heed how he builds thereupon. And we can build the wrong ways. What happens when you build the wrong way? 
Does it stand? No, it crumbles. It gets destroyed. And God is faithful. He will magnify where things are broken. Not because God is simply trying to rebuke, but God is for us to build. You matter to him. And there's, there's this sentiment at the beginning of 2 Corinthians 1, verse 23, where he's, he's resigning himself to this. The Lord knows my heart and that I'm trying to do the right thing, my paraphrase. And, and let me say, folks, you cannot control what anybody else does. You can't control how anybody else responds, but you can control who? Yourself. So responsibility isn't what everybody else does. Responsibility is what you do. And by the way, do you need God's help yourself? Are you always putty in the hands of the master? Are you always obedient when he tells you to do something? So do you need God's grace? Yeah, and so do others. So a pretty important principle in God-directed partnership is that Paul recognizes that God knows my heart. I am for his people, for the church. I want to be a blessing to them. And he really expounds that in this latter part of verse 24, excuse me, verse 24. And he's gonna say something here that I think is really important. He's gonna emphasize authority that he does not use. So did Paul have authority in the church as someone who was put into the ministry by God, as someone that was used uh, in giving us the inspired word of God? Did he have authority in the church? Well, yes, he did. But he actually emphasizes the opposite of that and, and, and downplays that. He says, not for that we have dominion over your faith. And the idea is not that we are lording over you. Not that um, we are coming in and trying to be heavy-handed. All right, I don't know, and again, I apologize for this. I've got to talk about the pastoral role of which I am one. And I, I hope I don't have this testimony in the church, but I'm going to warn the church against pastoral authority that seeks to dominate God's people. I'm going to warn you against the spirit of dictatorship. Someone that says, you will do what I say because I said so. Now, I know that there's a balance in here, and I, I, I believe me, I've, I have studied uh, pastoral authority and what it means and is there, and yes, I believe there is, and so there's two sides of this conversation, and I do think there's problems on both sides. I think many times, Pastor, I've said this for years now, many, I think, what's that psychologist guy, the guy who's uh, uh, Dr. Dr. Phil, you need to get a doctorate. Uh, Dr. Phil, we need a Dr. Phil. <laughs> And, uh, and what, what happened to the church, many times I, I've said people often will look at his pastor as just kind of a Dr. Phil. Hey, he's given some advice and hey, take it or leave it. I do believe that there is scriptural support for the leadership of pastors. However, they don't lead by domineering. 
They don't lead by lordship. They don't lead by being a heavy hand in your life saying, you'll do what I say because I said so. And if you don't like it, you hear these phrases, there's the door. I think, my, my word, what kind of a pastor is that? It's not a biblical pastor. We have that spirit as not one who's domineering or lording over God's people in 1 Peter chapter 5. Would you go there? 1 Peter 5. We'll read three verses out loud together. 1 Peter 5. First Peter 5, verses 1 through 3. Let's read that out loud together. The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock. Paul, in his spirit and discourse, and through Peter here in First Peter 5, we recognize that the role that God puts in the church of pastors or elders to, to direct the administration of the body, is supposed to be a loving partnership. Now, I wanna say something about that. Uh, if Monty could have time to come up here and give his perspective about what he sees us doing here at Fellowship, and we're not the only ones, but then what he sees in other churches, it's surprising to me, and I, I have the same sentiment, that very often churches don't have any sense of a partnership. It has a sense of there's a hierarchy of authority and then there's the people. And if you're not familiar with fellowship, we do not operate that way. We are a body in this together. We are all seeking God's mind. We're all trying to do the work of God together. And that idea of partnership is not a, a, a cool and fresh idea here at Fellowship. It is born out of the doctrine of the scriptures that God teaches that this is the kind of partnership that there is to be. And specifically, Paul's mindset, not that we would have dominion over your faith, is the idea of, of underscoring for the Corinthians, we are not trying to be the authority in your life that makes you do what you do. And we're gonna come back to that before we're done. But he says specifically in verse 24, instead, but are helpers of your joy. Helpers together of your joy. This is a sentiment found back, you were already in 1 Corinthians 3, but I'm gonna go back there to one verse earlier than you started. We looked at 1 Corinthians 3, verses 10 and 11, but I wanna give you 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 9, where we get this idea of helpers together of your joy. 
a good understanding of helpers together of your joy is that we're helpers or helping you in being joyful. And you could argue that that's a a euphemism for people who are following or obedient to Christ, builders up of your walk with God. We're helping together of your joy, 1 Corinthians 3, 9, for we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building, speaking of the church. But we are helpers together, laborers together with God for that purpose. Church ought to always be a place of building. Building one another up, encouraging each other, helping each other, coming alongside being that arm around, that arm up, that shaken hand, that, that embracing of each other to take another step for the Lord, to not quit, to not give up, to not give in to the world, to not let yourself become backslidden or a spiritual casualty, but that you go on in strength in your walk with God. You need encouragement. And in that vein, he's given the number one asset that any believer could have, which we actually looked at last week. He has sealed us by his spirit. So everywhere we go, we have him. But God, knowing we need encouragement, it is God who made the church. It is God who designed the church. It is God who, in his wisdom, gave the benefit of other brothers and sisters in Christ, walking through life together to hold each other up before him. It is God's design, and do we mess it up? Yes, but it is still his design, and not to be forsaken. He says, as a matter of fact, we are builders together of your joy, and of your joy is to strengthen and to promote your joy. Now, here's something. Now, uh, you are all, you are all rocket science here. You are all here. Smart. Every once in a while in church, I go really deep and uh, surprise myself even. I hope I have your heart in this, okay? You ought to always look forward to coming to church. Now, I recognize, and I've been there. I hate it. We have people who are shut in. People that cannot be here. Sometimes for a week, two weeks, three weeks. Hannah? Glad you're here. Praise God you can be here. There are others, this is a life. Health circumstances, things going on in their lives, they find it very difficult to be here. That is a hard place to be. Hello? That's a hard place to be. But I want to tell you something about, about church life, folks. We can live broken. And I think it's a horrible thing to wake up on Sundays 
and to have a dread of going to church. And I'm going because I'm going to be obedient to God who says I shouldn't forsake the assembling of ourselves together. But we'll obey and go, but we won't obey with the right attitude or heart. Now, I'm not saying that doesn't happen. Hello, Paul is dealing with this right here in 2 Corinthians. It happens. We're messy, we're complicated, we mess things up, we read things into people. (laughs) Something is wrong with my face, stop it. Don't say amen to that. Something's wrong with my face because I I have it happen more now than, than I ever used to, and that is, are you okay? Now, what is that telling you? Something's not okay with your face. <laughs> Are you okay? You, they don't say, why don't you just say it this way? You don't look good. <laughs> we read sometimes, someone's upset with me, someone's mad at me, someone's this. And by the way, Do we ever get that wrong? Yes. What's worse is when we get it right. (laughs) Oh, they really are jerks. (laughs) They really are nasty people. Lord. But here's the thing. Hello, this place has has got to be, and, and this is the importance of it, it's doctrine. It's the teaching of God. This place has got to be a place of joy. Should be. This place has got to be a place of building. He says, help us together of your joy to strengthen and promote your joy. Our partnership in the Lord should manifest joy, not strife or brokenness. And sometimes, not sometimes, what I should say, sometimes it happens that we disobey the Lord in this and we live broken. Paul, in this discourse, is trying to build the bridge to health. Why? Because he knows he's had to write a letter to the Corinthians that was hard. What did Paul say in 1 Corinthians? I had to write unto you not as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal. How'd you like that? How'd you like that? How'd you like someone to come to you and say, hey, brother or sister, I'd love to speak as unto you as a, unto someone spiritual, but I can't because you are carnal. Now you see the balance in this? Sometimes you have to say hard things. I would submit to you that we often don't say hard things well. How do we often say hard things? Many times we say hard things in anger. So we mess it up and we're like, well, I obeyed God and I rebuked him. It's like, there's more to it than that, right? But Paul is building here. And even when things are hard, he's trying, he's trying to build that bridge of fellowship. Not for fellowship's sake, 
but because of the Lord. Now, uh, this isn't in the message, and so this probably steals some of my time. When we live broken, it breaks church. What I mean by breaks church, I'm telling you folks that churches are closing their doors today for a whole host of reasons. And sometimes it's bad doctrine and bad behavior. Now I'll tell you, sometimes it's the mercy of God that he actually snuffs out a church so that that reeking testimony would die. And so the church would be built on Christ. Now, I, I always find it necessary to say this, but I will. I'm not speaking to any particular problem here. But is fellowship a church where problems can occur? Yes. Why? Because you're here. Oh, no, because I'm here. <laughs> it's that way. It's that way where there are people, there's going to be problems. But let's walk through problems with Christ. Let's magnify him. He says this, help us together of your joy. And he goes on to say in, in this verse of 24, he says, not for that we have dominion over your faith, but are helpers of your joy, for by faith you stand. And I take a moment on by, for by faith you stand, because it stands juxtaposed against the beginning of verse 24. Not for that we have dominion over you. Is it possible to demand and to get compliance by authority? Yes, it is. But that's not what we're leaning on here for everybody in this room to do right. You don't want to be in a, a position of doing right because, bless God, the pastor said, and he was angry, and he pounded the pulpit, and he fussed and he fumed, and I better obey. That kind of thing might get obedience from the, for a while, but it doesn't get obedience that strikes from the heart. He says, for by faith you stand. You stand where you are. You decide to do what's right. I'm going, to, I'm going to paraphrase it differently. You decide to do what's right because you are a person of faith who walks with God. That's why you do what's right. You don't do what's right because of someone lording over you, threatening you with, I'll do this and I'll do that. None of that is partnership. That's manipulation. Someone trying to get their way in the church. Someone trying to get their way in the church. This place has always got to have our focus on Christ. Always. We do what we do not because of some man lording their authority over us. We do what we do because we stand in faith. We are a people of faith. And at the end of the day, doing right is rooted in your relationship with the Lord that has to be your center and your motivating factor. It's the Lord. So we come into chapter two, the first four verses. Now the first four verses here, um, really you're going to hear Paul say, in essence, 
I love the Corinthians and you're doing well in the Lord is what brings me joy. And that's what I want to see because that's what actually makes me happy in my ministry, happy in my walk with God is seeing other believers in love with the Lord and walking in joy. So he makes that case in these first several verses. He says, but I determined this with myself that I would not come again to you in heaviness. For if I make you sorry, who is he then that maketh me glad? But the same which is made sorry by me. And I wrote this same unto you, lest when I came, I should have sorrow from them of whom I ought to rejoice, having confidence in you all that my joy is the joy of you all. Partnership, 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 family, family, family. We love each other. We love each other. I care about you. What really matters here is that we love the Lord together. For out of much affliction, in verse 4, the, the, the pain that it took him to write what he wrote before, out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote unto you with many tears. Not that ye should be grieved, but that ye might know the love which I have more abundantly unto you. So I said this place needs to be a place of joy. This place needs to be a place of building. It ought to be that when we wake up on Sundays, I know we're tired and we've got lots of things in life that can keep us busy and keep us uh, distracted, but it ought to be a desire and a want of God's people to come together to worship God and to build each other up. That's what church is supposed to be. And I'm sorry if it's not been that for you in the past, but let's let it be that now. I'm going to tell you, I'm, uh, I'm no different than you. I, I'm maybe more selfish than you, but I come together. I, when I come here, I desire to be a blessing to God's people. And this is what I think. The only way I can do that is to put on Jesus. So I, I want to put on Jesus and I, I want to be a blessing to God's people. That's always the heart, but I'm going to tell you, here's the selfish part of it. You're a blessing to me. You're an encouragement to me. You build me up. Just, just being present together is an encouragement to me. To try to get to know what's going on in your life, to try to understand, to try to be there, to try to be sympathetic and empathetic and love each other and try to build one another up. I need it as much as you. I want to tell you what I don't ever want to do. I don't want to ever be in a place in ministry where there are problems in the church and I don't look forward to coming to church. Doesn't mean there won't ever be problems, but I don't ever want to be in a place where I find it a grind to be with God's people. If that's the case, I'm going to say two words. Fix it. Is that fair? If that's ever the case, another two words, do right. Amen? All right, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, what's the focus? At the end of the day is one simple word. It's a word that is both actionable and a characteristic that is to be 
the defining word of God's people. And that word is love. I have several verses, so get your fingers quick. Whether you're going to punch buttons or turn pages, are you ready? John 15, 12. John 15, 12. At the end of the day, what matters is that we love each other. Somebody's lunch timer is going off. John 15, 12. You there? Look at me if you are. That way I'll know most of you are there. All right, back to it. Let's read it out loud. John 15, 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. How did Jesus love you? Jesus loved you because you're pretty? Jesus loved you because you've got no issues? Jesus loved you because you're always obedient? How does Jesus love you? Sacrificially and consistently. Does God give you grace? Do you think we should give other people grace? Don't confuse. I'm not saying that we don't ever address sin and we don't ever address wrongdoing. And that's certainly true. But we should do so in the spirit of love. I'd like to say it this way. Love! <laughs> that doesn't quite fit, I don't think. All right. Romans 12.10. Take your Bible there. Romans 12.10. I like it when I get a chance to pound the pulpit once in a while because some of you have come to me in the past and you've apologized for sleeping. And uh, I look, I, I always tell people, I'm glad you're here. It's more comfortable to sleep at home. I'm glad you came here to do it. So, and I'm going to tell you something else. Once in a while when I do this, it, it tickles me to watch you go. <laughs> uh. All right, Romans 12.10. Romans 12, 10, read that out loud with me. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love and honor preferring one another. Kindly affectioned with brotherly love preferring one another. How does that sound to you? That sounds like good church to me. That sounds like, sounds like joy to me. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. Take your Bibles there. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. We're almost done. Take heart. Yeah, you've said that before. <laughs> Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. Let me see you when you get there so I'll know. I'm getting there, kind of. Genesis, Exodus, Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. Read it with me. Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us, and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. So the admonition there in verse 2, to walk in love, and you always see these uh, qualifications. Walk in love how? It's not like God told you to do it without any instruction. As Christ, do it like he does it. 
1 Thessalonians 3, verse 12. Reading out loud with me, 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 12. And the Lord make you to increase and abound in love, one toward another and toward all men, even as we do toward you. So what kind of love do we have? An increasing and an abounding love. So the Lord make it to increase and abound in us. Last one, 1 Peter 3 and verse 8. Last one. 1 Peter 3 and verse 8. 1 Peter 3 and verse 8, give you a moment. All right, you ready? 1 Peter 3, 8, reading with me. Finally, be all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love as brethren, be pitiful be courteous. And all God's people said. So when Paul is addressing the Corinthians here over a God-directed partnership, it is God that directs. We, we understand that there can be misunderstandings and, and there can be a change of plans. You said this, but you did that. Let me ask you, have church splits ever happened over pettiness? Crazy. You hear... You hear people saying, what's the number one illustration that you hear? People split over what? Carpet. So when we built the church here, we said, should we have carpet? (laughs) People left churches over the silliest of things. It's a miracle there's a church at all. Right? Can you be offended? Well, give me a chance. Sure, it it can and does happen. What's the glue that keeps this together when there's an offense or when there's problems? What's the glue that keeps it together? I, I would give you two words, Christ and love. You could combine with that obedience and all kinds of other things, but Christ and love, it's, there it is. Now, I know this isn't a Christmas season message and we're walking through 2 Corinthians and we're looking at what Paul's talking to the Corinthians about in his second letter. But in this, I want to again come back to good doctrine brings good behavior and good feeling. And this is what God wants for his church. He wants it to be a place where you are encouraged. If you're not, I would encourage you not to suffer where you are. And, and, and some might think, well, that means we'll just move on. But that's not what I'm saying. If you're struggling where you are for some reason, how about we come together and talk in Christ? How about we do that? How about, how about we love each other? You know something I'm jealous of? is The message is over. This is just me kind of rambling right now. Where I'm, I've always, I know, Pastor Phil, I know you're this way. I don't know that every pastor is this way. But I feel like a pastor ought to be a person who wants to be with his people. A person who doesn't set himself above and apart. Some of you apologize for like 
calling me uh, in the middle of the night. Or you, I, I, I got to tell you, I, and I, I understand your sentiment. I appreciate your sentiment. But you'll have to give grace when I say I don't like it. And here's what it is. Sometimes you'll say, well, I didn't want to call you because I didn't want to bother you. If you got a pastor who's bothered with you, that pastor's a jerk. You are not a bother to me. I got a secret. When I have to sleep, I put my phone on do not disturb. <laughs> I also have to tell you one of the things that drives me nuts about myself. You know, I've, I've tried to find that one communication way that I always know where my follow-up is. There's texting, there's email, there's messenger, there's, and then there's recorded messages, and then the worst of all, someone wrote it on a piece of paper. <laughs> and it drives me nuts that I don't follow up with people. It drives me nuts that I miss somebody, or some matter of fact, today, I have to say my mind went to it like four or five times. There was somebody in our church, and I'm not gonna give their name right now, but they, they were in the hospital, and I think they've gotten out. I called them, and then uh, didn't get them, and then they called me and left a message, and we never have connected yet. It's like, I don't want people to ever feel like they don't matter or that I, I don't care. Uh, you, you understand that this, this, I'm taking time to say this, not to elevate the sense of who you have as a pastor, but the heart sentiment of what a pastor is supposed to be. A pastor is supposed to be somebody who loves you and is for you. And what I'm saying here is not just a pastor. That was Paul's sentiment to the Corinthians. But he's, we're given this, in, this inspired word of God to direct our relationship with each other as we navigate church. And so here's what I'm calling us to today. If something is broken, fix it. If something is hurting, find healing. Find the path to healing. Do what Christ would do. And do what Christ did for you. For when we look at who Christ is and what his love is, it truly is a beautiful thing. Attractive, commending, and warm, and healthy. And may fellowship, may we, reflect that sentiment in our disposition and in our love for each other.